Welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana and I'm joined by my co-host, Kervin. It's been another week of global news and that means another episode with all of the intelligence insights that you're looking for. But before we dive into today's episode, we wanted to share some exciting ways to stay connected with Oakland Analytics. If you want to start your week off with geopolitical insights, sign up for our Need to Know newsletter that's sent every Monday. You can also follow us on Instagram for daily updates and behind-the-scenes content. And if you have any questions, comments, or news that we're not paying enough attention to, we'd love to hear from you. Engage with us through email, and we can keep the conversation going. So whether you're a longtime listener or a new subscriber, we invite you to join our community and stay informed with Oakland Analytics. Also, uh, if you're listening on Spotify, there's a new feature in the Spotify app that you can give us feedback uh, directly on the episode right in the Spotify app. And so what this will do is it, it goes straight to us. No one else sees it. And it really helps us understand how we're doing as podcasters. If you enjoy the show or, or if you want to see some new things. So that's a really awesome feature. And they're, they're also Spotify's letting podcasters run polls for every episode. You can create a poll about you know what the, what the episode was about. And so we may start doing those in the future if you guys would or like to see that. See in the next episode, that kind of makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, definitely. But anyways, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Those are some cool features. Yeah, Spotify doing some good things for podcasters for once. <laughs> no, we love Spotify. Yeah, we do love Spotify. But anyways, let's get started, Kervin. Let's quit talking crap and get started <laughs> and talk crap about other things. Yeah. What's on your radar this week? All right, we're going to do Russia-Ukraine. But uh, so last week was heavy U.S. We did a lot of United States news. Uh, we're going to do a lot of NATO news because there was a lot coming out this week. Hmm. So um, Sweden is inching towards NATO approval now. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's going to send a, a message to Putin for, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's going to do a lot there. Um, I almost said for real or for super serious, and I had to stop myself. <laughs> But then you still said it. <laughs> I still said it. Just so people know why there's a pause sometimes. Oh, okay. Okay. Intrusive thoughts. Yes. Um, also, NATO sending extra troops to Kosovo because there's a conflict going on um, between the ethnic Albanians and the ethnic Serbs in Kosovo. There's renewed talk of Ukraine joining NATO, and we will discuss that. Uh, we'll shift from NATO and go into the Indo-Pacific to talk uh, North Korea's failed spy satellite launch, <laughs> the implications of that and what happened. And we'll we'll end with how, uh, you know, China-U.S. relations are not in a good spot right now. And China continues to provoke the ire of the United States and vice versa, honestly. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, so what is the latest in Ukraine? Well, this week was, uh, you know, we have Shark Week on Discovery Channel. This is Drone Week within Russia and Ukraine. So that's because both Russia and Ukraine flew multiple drones into various locations. Oh, okay. So the the Russian Ministry of Defense accused Ukraine of attacking Moscow with eight drones this week. Uh, They did claim that Russia forces shot down five of the drones and then suppressed the other three with electronic warfare systems. 
Now, according to independent Russian sources, so not news organizations affiliated with, uh, with Russia, the drone strikes predominantly targeted areas near Russian President Vladimir Putin's residence, as well as other elite neighborhoods within Moscow. Will this recent alleged drone attack by Ukraine force Putin to take more aggressive measures in the war? It's it's interesting because he seems to be downplaying this specific drone attack. Um, some weird. it it is really weird, and he didn't really come out too much for the one that was a possible assassination attempt either. Well, of course. It, well, I feel like he would be more vocal about that. <laughs> yeah, and and we just Perhaps. didn't hear too much from him. Uh, yeah. with, now. Some analysts believe that that's because he has a very limited option right now in conducting a large-scale attack on cities like Kiev and, and Lviv, which would be the reason. That would be the retaliation, is to mm-hmm. push ground forces there, and he just doesn't have the resources. So typically, uh, and what we saw in the drone attack that was a possible suicide attempt, that or a possible assassination attempt, sorry. yeah. Uh, was what the typical re- retaliation is. And it's it's early morning missile and drone attacks all over Ukraine. And that looks to be the way forward after this drone strike as well. So uh, I'd say right now there seems to be no plans for a more aggressive approach from Russia. Well, we are now into June of 2023. And the war in Ukraine seems to be no closer to a peaceful resolution. Could you break down where everything stands at this point in the war and maybe some predictions for what we could see for the next half of the year? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, we're officially Russia's in a protracted war in Ukraine right now. So a long, long-term war, and, and they're stuck right now. Not that, a really brief special military operation. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> and, and as you said, there's... There doesn't seem to be a resolution coming anytime soon. So looks to me and and most analysts that fighting is going to persist into the next year. It's tough to predict where the two countries are going to be in the next six months, uh, especially with an election coming up in Russia. So two common theories on how the end of the year is going to play out. Those two are first Russia goes on a major offensive to take Kiev, give Putin this major victory before the election takes place. He's going to really want that. But that would be a high-risk, high-reward decision. Um, because if Russia fails again to take Kiev, the people of Russia are going to begin to become uneasy about the future of the war. Become? Yeah, there are some that are already, but there are some ultra-nationalists that are kind of on the fence right now. And I think okay. this would push them over the edge. Right. And, and not supporting Putin anymore. Yeah. Now, the other theory is that uh, Russia slowly moves uh, west through uh, Kharkiv and wins some minor battles. And then Putin can highlight those good news stories for Russia and its war in Ukraine. And and that one would be the least risky because it's it's most likely that they could take over those areas. But it might not be enough to quiet the rising number of those ultra-nationalist Russians that would become dissatisfied with how the military operation is playing out. So which theory do you think is more likely to play out? So I think it's a combination of both. Um, Because it really does appear to me that the Russian military is preparing to begin offensives to take uh, Kharkiv, which would lead to that push west towards Kiev. Mm -hmm. Now, when the war was just getting ready to, to set off, the original analysis from many intel guys of how Russia would take Kiev was through the south along the Dnipro River. 
but it just didn't play out that way, uh, just with the, the trajectory of the war. So it could be that Russia attempts to surround the Ukrainian capital before actually doing that southern, you know, that push from the south into Kiev. And if Kiev does fall, does that the- theoretically end the war in Ukraine? Would Zelensky be forced to agree to a peace deal? I mean, it'd be it'd be a major step in that direction. Okay. Um, and it honestly, a peace deal could happen before Kiev is taken over if if Zelensky sees no other option. Um, he may decide to agree to meet at the negotiating table to honestly save his life, um, because as it was well documented early on, uh, he was being targeted in that first push towards Kiev. Well, that would be a very interesting development in this conflict. But also, if he took that route, it would also save countless of yeah. countless like soldiers and civilians, and you know, just people caught in the crossfire. So, yep, we're always anyways. looking for peace. It- yeah. It, I mean, if what you are saying is true and we are still many months away from that decision even being made, let's move to talk about NATO and what is going on with Sweden. Mm-hmm. I love Sweden. I know I say that every time we <laughs> mention Sweden. I love Sweden. We have not discussed this much since Finland. I also love Finland. Since Finland was granted NATO membership. So what is the update on where Sweden stands in its attempt to become a member of NATO? Because I know they were, you know, Russia was very adamant that this not happen. Yeah. And, you know, Turkey has been back and forth on this because they support Russia sometimes and they support the West other times. So I want to tie this update into the Turkish election update, um, because in my analysis, these two are actually related. Uh, We kind of predicted this early this year. You know, you and I first started talking about the Turkish elections and what would happen if Erdogan actually wins another term as president. Um, That that analysis was that Erdogan was going to push against Sweden's membership into NATO to kind of align with a group of voters that tend to be more pro-Russia. He needed to have that base still. And then we discussed how he would flip once the election once he's elected and then begin the process to allow Sweden into NATO under certain stipulations. And is that what's happening right now? Do you see Sweden joining NATO this year? Uh, It won't. So it's not going to come quickly or easily. But yeah, I I do see. So Erdogan has already softened the rhetoric towards Sweden. Um, The U.S. is making statements to pressure a quick vote on Sweden's membership to the organization. So what comments has the United States made in regards to this? Well, uh, this week, Secretary of State Antony Blinken told Turkey the time is now to finalize Sweden's ascent. Uh, Sweden, He said Sweden has been qualified to join NATO from day one and has already taken significant steps to address Turkey's what he could said could legitimate security concerns. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, yeah, it was, well, they implied, Turkey implied, or Erdogan implied, that the whole reason why they didn't want them to join NATO was security concerns. Yeah, so they they feel that Sweden is given a safe haven to um, to the Kurds that right. Turkey is fighting against. 
Yeah, thank you for reminding me and our listeners because yep. I couldn't quite remember. So let's stay with this NATO conversation that we have going on and discuss what's happening in Kosovo right now. Um, for the last year, there have been various clashes between Albanians and Serbs. And once again, there was a conflict in in the country again. So mm -hmm. now NATO has sent an extra 700 troops to keep the peace. What is going on there? Um was this the result of a particular event, or is it similar to the unrest that we have been seeing in that region over the last few? Years? Well, I think both of the, both of those are true. Um, in this particular case, the, the unrest is similar um, in that it's based off fighting between the Serbs and the Albanians. Um, Serbs make up a majority in Kosovo's northern region, and they never accepted Kosovo's 2008 declaration of independence from Serbia. That was recognized by major European Union countries and the United States. So they're at odds there. Then, this April, the Serbs actually boycotted local elections, which led to Kosovo's ethnic Albanian ruling party winning mayoral elections, but only 3% of the population voted in that election. What? Whoa. So once the Albanian candidate was sworn into office this month, in the month of May, uh, we're in June now, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> But, I actually spent all morning thinking it was the 31st of May. I too. lost two days somewhere <laughs> in the last week. I was shocked whenever I woke up and it was June. It's wild. This year it is, is just flying by. Yeah. Um. But once that uh, Albanian candidate was sworn into office this in May, the majority served... Uh, half of the divided town of Mitrovica, which was where that one Albanian candidate was installed, right. um, they started to protest. And that led to this increased troop presence from NATO because it became violent. Well, how are Western Europe and the United States reacting to these protests? So I think all, what from what I have seen, all those countries are asking both groups to stick to the peace deal that was brokered earlier this year and to de-escalate the situation. Um, there haven't really been many solutions offered up. No one's saying they should take out the governor, the, the elected governor, or hold new elections. Um, so until that happens, you know, that's going to be an important thing to keep tracking. If, if they're going to say, let's do new elections or let's keep it going as usual. Before, it, unless, until that happens, we're going to see the protests continue uh, unless the Serbs are offered more of a say in the northern municipalities in Kosovo. What they, what they really want is to be back with Serbia, but I don't think mm -hmm. that's going to happen. Right. Now, we could definitely see increased fighting along the border with Serbia, um, with the Serbs, like I said, hoping to reestablish that northern part through a violent conflict. All right. Well, we are going to track that event throughout the rest of this year, but obviously we hope that it doesn't escalate any yeah. further than this. <laughs> Let's move on to yet another NATO story, where it looks as if Ukraine is gaining more support for NATO membership. What is the latest there, and is Putin ticked off about it? Yeah. I'm sure he's very ticked off. I know, uh, <laughs> like that wasn't even a question. It's right. obvious. <laughs> right. You know, the whole you know. special military operation was because NATO was getting too close to Russian borders, is what he right. said. And now NATO is even closer to Russian. Yeah, they're tired members. of his crap. Yeah. Tired of it. Now, um, which said is true, the, the renewed push is actually coming from some heavy hitters in the geopolitical realm. Um, 
the French president, Macron, who's, you know, he was meeting with Chinese officials to get Russia and Ukraine to formulate an agreeable peace deal, said this week that Ukraine should be fast-tracked on a path to NATO. So how quickly could Ukraine become a NATO member? And also, (laughs) how would that affect Russia's special military operation in Ukraine? Right. (laughs) It's all about the wording. Um, Yeah. So I would say all NATO countries right now agree that there is no pathway to NATO membership for Ukraine until the war is over because they don't see it as a special military operation. Mm-hmm. And the, the one reason for that is that NATO would be forced to defend Ukraine with NATO troops, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. The other piece at play here is that if Russia is able to win this war, Ukraine may no longer be a country. So if if NATO installs Ukraine as a NATO country and Ukraine loses... It's the, dissolved or it's reabsorbed dissolved. into Russia. Yeah, Right. That's That's some, you know, legal gray area yeah and that's just not a risk that nato's willing to make right now well would a peace agreement help ukraine gain membership like on the fast track yeah that's that's actually a really interesting question because uh nato membership could be a key part of getting at least Zelensky to the negotiating table we talked about earlier uh you know he could come because kiev's being surrounded yeah, and he could possibly decide to negotiate to sa- spare his life and yeah, if it and gets too hot where he is anyways. Exactly. So he could rethink some of like the red lines that we talked mm-hmm. about in the peace deal. Um that would be, you know, he'd be forced to agree to giving Russia those recently annexed regions in Ukraine in order to keep the rest of his country. Uh one way to entice him to do that would be a deal to fast track Ukraine's NATO membership. Uh, now, so that's just one side of it. Ukraine would be, I would think, definitely for that. But would would Putin agree to that? And, yeah. And in the I scenario, that, yeah, in the scenario I just played out. So Kiev is surrounded. He'd have no reason to to strike that deal because he would have the upper hand. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it may be that NATO membership is um is not in the peace deal but it, the, you know Ukraine can have this handshake agreement with NATO countries that's behind closed doors well that gives us a lot to think about and obviously we aren't anywhere closer to a resolution in Ukraine so let's move away from the NATO talk for now cuz i know people are probably getting sick of it <laughs> let's get yeah. to the pacific into the pacific we discussed north korea's um plans to launch a spy satellite and it looks like that launch didn't go according to plan (laughs) so what happened this week with that launch yeah so this was a a newly developed rocket that was carrying um the malik young one satellite the spy satellite and they talked about launching and they they did that this week at a satellite launching ground in the northwest portion of north korea well the, the rocket crashed off the Korean Peninsula's western coast after it lost thrust following the uh, separation of its first and second stages. So if anyone watched the SpaceX launch recently that happened, uh, this is a similar thing that happened to the SpaceX um, rocket as it was going into orbit. When it got to that first and second stage of separation, it exploded. Um, now, due to the erratic behavior of this this missile and satellite, both South Korea and Japan issued alerts to its population to seek cover, 
There's even a brief moment where the, the capital of South Korea, Seoul, sent evacuation alerts to all citizens. They did quickly rescind that alert as panic had taken over the capital for just a brief moment. So did North Korea actually confirm the launch was unsuccessful? They actually did. And they did it very quickly. Um, Shocked. Yeah, and it's it's shocking, but that's most likely to get ahead of the narrative. Mm-hmm. There's There was no way they were going to keep this information from the people of North Korea that it had happened. And so in an attempt to control the narrative, Kim Jong-un explained that the launch failed, but that the military is on the right track. Of that course gonna, they are. Yeah, they're going to learn right. from the launch failure so that they can be successful in the second attempt. Well, will North Korea have any further sanctions placed on them because of this recent launch? Now, the the UN has imposed economic sanctions on North Korea over you know, previous satellite and ballistic missile launches. Uh, that's because it's in the resolution to sanction North Korea for these. Uh, they haven't responded to the recent test because of China and Russia. So those two hold permanent Security Council status, and they've been able to block any attempts to toughen sanctions on North Korea. That's why we try to highlight you know, all the geopolitical events, because they affect everywhere around the globe. While a certain so everything that's going on with China and Russia fits into what's going on with North Korea, and it may seem like all these countries are separated and they they don't have an effect, but um, that they do. And and so while a certain event may seem tens of thousands of miles away, they can affect the everyday lives of people from around the world. Definitely, and I think that's part of why we discuss China so much on this podcast because. Their plans for an invasion of Taiwan will directly affect the lives of our listeners because of the tensions with the U.S., U.K., Australia, New Zealand. You know, the list goes on and on and on. Definitely. So let's end this episode with talk about the latest coming out of relations between China and the U.S. And that may lead to future conflict. So we got to talk about it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to highlight a very good investigative piece by a... uh, private intelligence firm called Recorded Future. I have a lot of respect um, for that company. And they published in tandem with the New York Times. They explain China's recent advancements in open source intelligence collection. Now, Recorded Future is explaining China's intelligence agencies are investing in open source intelligence to collect publicly available data from the Pentagon, so the U.S. military, various think tanks, so the U.S. government, and private firms. So what would China be looking to do with this information? Well, the, the information's going to be used to help plan for a potential conflict with the United States. Now, the, the report suggests that China's investment in big data management could give it an advantage in collecting intelligence on the United States and its allies. But the United States puts out an excess of information about its military capabilities you can find its doctrine everywhere. You can see planning all over open source. Because of that, China is mining all that information to kind of look for materials that it can use to its own military advantages in a possible conflict. Well, can the U.S. do anything to counter this, aside from obviously classifying the information that is at this point, that at this point um, remains open source? Yeah, I mean, they could do a number of things. Uh, the first First, it was done with the New York Times article. That was very good. That um, highlights publicly that we know what China is doing and we're Mm -hmm. prepared to limit China's access to the data. 
gets the U.S. population involved. It gets other businesses involved to keep their information hidden. Mm -hmm. The U.S. could also push for sanctions on China because uh, they could claim that what they're doing is this nefarious espionage program. And they could either do it as part of uh, corporate espionage or government espionage. So they can go both routes with that to try to, to try to sanction China. And then, like you said, it would be an obvious move to begin to classify all of that information. But then that kind of leads to different legal and constitutional battles that may harm the U.S. more than it harms China. So I'll say um, there is a call from many to be more transparent within like this so-called military industrial complex, which is where China's getting this information from open source. But I do believe that the process of disclosing emerging technologies and what to classify in regards to the specific technologies is it's the process is good. We have a good process in the U.S. We don't need to change that just yet. I do think the military definitely needs to remain aware of the threat. Keep it in mind with regards to dealing with China and go from there. So not time for the military to freak out just yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> well, that's as close as to a good news story as we have, it seems. So is there yeah. anything else that you would like to discuss this week? No, after that, we are out of time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you found it informative and engaging. And as we mentioned at the start of this episode, if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oakland Analytics. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.